Hey everybody, it's Paul here with a couple of quick announcements before you get into the episode. We're getting ready to ramp back up after a bit of a hiatus going into the offer season three, uh, which just means that Caesar and I are continuing to refine our methods of making uh, wonderful, exciting stories to share with you. Uh, we are going to, as part of season three, starting to have a sort of a bonus episode on the regular, which is going to be an interview, a conversation, a catch up. This one is with the incredible Kurt Mayberry uh, about the world of applied improv. You can find more about him uh, in the description of this episode, as well as uh, there will be uh, links that you can follow to his LinkedIn and other sorts of places. Um, we had a really great time chatting with him, and I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. Uh, it's a really interesting world, like how to take this thing we love doing, improvisation, and apply it. Um, so with that said, I'll get straight into the episode. There's much more to say about uh, our third season. I'll just make sure you're subscribed. We'll drop a specific announcement about that coming soon. Um, so please enjoy this conversation that we had with Kurt Maber. Hello, and welcome to a special episode of The Offer. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Paul, and I'm here with Caesar. Hello, Caesar. Hello, Paul. I'm the other uh, host of The Offer, which is uh, a, a nomenclature we have decided to change for this series of episodes. Yeah, we, you know, we, we give offers, we tell wonderful stories, and this is going to be a, a take where we, where we talk, where we chat with one of our lovely guests about the wonderful, exciting things that they are doing and learn a little bit about their, uh, their outlook on life and what they're up to. Um, and we have just such an exciting, wonderful guest on today. Um, truly a, a, a huge force in the world of improv, I would say. Um, and uh, this, this conversation is going to be about the wonderful... Kurt Mabry, who I'm going to read before we welcome him in to, to talk. We're, I'm going to read his his bio that he sent me. I'm going to do my best to like really give this a dramatic reader's theater. Here we go. It, it looks very nice, and a lot of this text will be available in the episode description. So, <clears throat> Kurt Mabry, senior trainer, facilitator, coach. Kurt Mabry is a senior organizational learning and development consultant, trainer, facilitator, coach, and program designer based in Shanghai, China. He has over 13 years of Asia-Pacific training, coaching, and lecturing experience. Kurt has designed and delivered programs for hundreds of multinational and local corporations with a high degree of success. Kurt brings energy, passion, and enthusiasm to all of his trainings and prides himself on helping teams and trainees discover learning that is specially applicable to their work and life long after the training program is completed. His experience include television, radio, film production, administration respected, respected international school, professional theatrical coaching and leadership training using unique and unconventional methods of training and development. Additionally, Kurt is the founding director of the Zmack Improv Family, performing and teaching improvisational theater in Shanghai and Bangkok since 2009. So there's a lot there to chew on. There's and he so just made every about. subsequent guest Coming up, uh, Luke, you know, bad. <laughs> this is the very first take. So, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us. I am honored to be in your presence. Hello. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. I note that you said uh, I'm a, a huge force, and I want to tell you that I don't think it's a great way to start our podcast by fat shaming, <laughs> but no. you do, you, Paul. The, was... the correct term is mass, Paul. I'm a mass. Correct... <laughs> I'm a mass, <laughs> mass force. Yes, a mass I have my own gravitational field. That's what I meant yeah. to say because you you really do. I mean, both both Caesar and I were pulled into orbit because of an organization that you created, right? Truly, an actual uh, gravitational effect. We were we were brought into the yeah. same the same orbit, um, and you know I have so many so many thoughts and questions about that, which hopefully we'll get around to talking about. But really what we're here to talk to you about today, because it's it's all over your bio and it's this thing you do, is this this phrase, this this word that you're in this world of, of applied improv. Um, right. And I wanted to ask you, like, what, like, for those who don't know, what is that? What is a, applied improv? What does that well, mean? Well, I'm going to assume that your listeners understand what improv is, improvisational theater, um, basically making stuff up with some tools and techniques and things what like style? that. Well, sure. And, you know, if we're doing it right. Uh, but one of the <laughs> things we've learned, uh, many of us around the world uh, that have done improv for a while, is that the tools that we have on stage, because we have no script, no, no props, no preparation, 
production. We don't know what we're going to do. We create it on stage. The tools that we use are actually really good interpersonal communications, interpersonal dynamics tools. So uh, I would guess I'd been doing improv. It was around the early 2000s when one of my students said, hey, you ever thought about doing this on the corporate level? And I'm like, not really. And then he told me how much I could get paid. And I said, yes, I'm thinking about doing that. <laughs> wow. What yeah. a convincing argument. It was oh, it- very convincing. <laughs> It was very exactly. convincing. It was five figures of six figures of convincing. So yeah, whoa, that's that. Woof. That will do that's it. That's convincing. That'll, that will convince. Yeah, but see, so, it was six figures in Indonesian rupiah. So don't get too excited. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So you can like buy a pair of flip flops by the end of a whole training session. A flip or a flop. A flip. Oh, or. okay. Either or. <laughs> A flip or a flop, uh, and it'll last for about that many flips um, or flops. Um, the so I, that well, this dovetails very nicely with this thought I have of like, yeah, like it's a it's a people pay a lot of money for this. It, it's a very important thing. Um, and I guess my my first immediate question is like, what is it that when they're paying those six figures of of rupees, what is it that they're they're, they're it's these interpersonal skills, right? That they are they're lacking. But what are they wanting the most from your from your presence? I mean, minus the fact that you're charming and delightful, but there's some reason that they pay you all that much money. What is it that they're eager to get that that there's all this need for? That is in the in the world of learning and development, uh, my area tends to fall under what has unfortunately been called soft skills, communication skills, interpersonal skills. I like to think of them as essential skills, but my area is interpersonal dynamics, how people get along with one another, what relationships are like, what builds relationships, what enhances communication, uh, and things like that. And so that's basically, as you both know, being trained improvisers, that the key to improvisation is being a good communicator. So a lot of it has to do with communication, even when I'm training something like change management or persuasion and influence or presentation skills. It's still about interpersonal communication, two-way communication. You're, you know, there's always someone else involved in the communication. Two-way street. Yeah, very much. It's, it seems, it seems kind and of obvious. Why do you think, why do you think they pay so much for it though? I mean, what, uh, why is it so valuable? That's what I'm trying to say, right? Mm, well, the, the organizational learning and development field, uh, it's, it's a pretty well-paid industry anyway because they're expecting a high return. They're expecting something that works. They're in a pretty high-stakes game anyway. You know, they're, they're usually the people that I train are senior leaders, uh, C-suite, uh, VPs, managing directors, and things like that. So these are people dealing with a lot of money on the table for the organization's so they expect a pretty high value, so they pay pretty high value, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess the thing on top of that, related to like, they, they obviously need these, these skills of, of what I would call are just like, you know, being, be, being good and being present, being a good communicator. How, how do these things get so, um, how do they, why are they so hard for people? I suppose. What are your, and this is maybe I'm diving a little bit into like Kurt's take on this. I'm not saying that you need to be an authoritative figure. Like, why is it that people find these soft skills? Why have they been forgotten? Why are they? I, I think it goes back. It goes back to every culture's education system. I mean, education systems tend to teach hard skills or they tend to value those more. You know, a lot of different cultures, you find that humanities and communication are a little bit less emphasized in something like uh, like science, technology, engineering, math, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, and even in some of the cultures in Asia that I've worked in, when they teach languages, they don't really teach them for communication. They teach them more for exams. So a lot of my work, I would say the lion's share of my work is with people who are highly trained engineers or who have quite a lot of experience in the realm of uh, business administration, you know, and so they're dealing with things that are very specific skills and they're very, very, they're very, very good at what they do, but we tend to forget. I think there's a lot of assumption by people that interpersonal communication just happens. I really Mm -hmm. think so. Yeah. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. we didn't, and when we were in school, and I'm, I'm assuming I don't know much about the Argentine school system, Cesar, but when we were in school, you know, we, we, 
we, we really weren't taught what do our emotions mean? How do we, how do we, uh, how do we optimize our communication with other people? You know, instead, it's all about get this grade on this exam. Yeah, very much. And so these things are, are lost. So what I tend to get hired for are things like very, very highly trained, very skillful engineers that are designing some of the great uh, software developments of tomorrow, but they can't get along with the other engineering teams. So the larger project doesn't work. Mm. Huh. Well, that, that's, do you think there's also this idea that even though like there's, there, there's this idea of uh, uh, interpersonal communication just happens. Do you, do you think this also connected to the idea of you need to be born a communicator and it has to be like a natural thing. You can't learn to be I a good computer. I don't think so. I don't think that's true. Just like, you know, um, one, my former business partner, when we were setting up Smack, she said to me, do not tell people that everybody can improvise. We will not sell as many improv classes if we, if we tell people they already know how to improvise. But I'm like, but they do. They played as children. They pretended as children. The world drummed improv out of us. And the same thing happens I do think when, you know, someone is in infancy, when then they're in that developmental stage, they have the, the ability to become an empathic communicator, but the education system and what's expected of us makes that fall by the wayside. And so we, we you know, so we, we lose something. Uh, speaking of that, you know, like we, we all know how to improvise. You have this tagline on your bio that I wanted to read out loud and ask you to elaborate on. And that you, uh, it's over this wonderful, very dapper photo of you. And it says, I it's believe. It's under the life... rated X one. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll cut off my description. Um, so before we get to that point, before the fold, I believe life is improvised and the tools of improv theater can give us a more joyful and abundant life. And I have, I have many different questions. There's a lot packed into that sentence. Um, I guess the first question is like, yeah, like what are those tools and what do you mean by a joyful, abundant life? What, what are, what are you, how do we get the that? tools are about, well, this is getting deep, but I, I believe that the, I believe the meaning of life is other people. I don't believe that there's, you know, except for your, the hermits that live on a hillside and just speak to their goats, you know, that you read about they're, they're, they're not the average person. And I do think that we're not, we're not solitary creatures. We're social animals. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that these tools help us facilitate interpersonal dynamics, how we get along with other people. And that can bring us more opportunities for joy. You know, I think that uh, we tend to just like we tend to neglect emotion and we tend to neglect communication i think we tend to neglect the power of joy mm. uh it, it's it's not something people prioritize it's it's a little bit frustrating sometimes when i've been teaching improv classes and they say well why should i take an improv class is it going to make me a better communicator is it going to make me uh is it going to give me a promotion is it going to help me be more confident speaking in front of other, other people i'm like first it's fun number one yeah. It's fun. And we need that. And I feel like when we start to see the joy and the positivity, when we open our minds to the fact that it is something important to be aware of, our lives become more abundant, more opportunities, more, more experiences uh, come to us. You know, when, when, you're, when you're a very small child, you know, if you, if you see a baby and a baby looks a really small baby, if he looks around, you see his eyes are wide and his mouth is open like he's goggling at everything. He sees a tree and he sees the greenness of the leaves and the roughness of the bark, and it's the most amazing thing. But as he gets older, he sees so many trees, his brain starts to compartmentalize them. And he's just like, okay, that's a tree, that's a tree. Until we get to the point that the only thing we really notice about these trees is that we don't walk into them unless we're staring at our phones, you know. And so I feel like, <laughs> I feel like improvisation, the tools of improvisation can help us see the greenness of the leaves, the, the mindful observation of the bark, you know, the, 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 the very present and focused exploration of the beauty of the veins in each leaf and the chlorophyll that flows through them. And, and just noticing all of these things helps us really appreciate things more. 
you know, so I think it, it joy helps us appreciate life more and appreciating life brings us more abundance. Mm. That's beautiful. Wow. I, <laughs> I, I, I love, I love that. Like, yeah, like that there is, there is like, all, it's not, it, it is a sort of magical quality that like, by just having fun, the world reveals more of itself, right? It is yeah. just by being open, more possibilities come, more. And that's you know, the reason, as, as you've both probably discussed in other interviews with other improvisers, you know the first rule, the first two words you learn are yes and. It's a very no world, obviously. And, and, and no is so limiting. And that's exactly what it's about. No is about control. You go back to the idea of a little baby. You've heard of the terrible twos because it's about at one and a half years old that a child's brain starts to realize, wait a minute, mom and dad don't think the same way I do. And it's about the time they get the idea of the self and they start to realize, okay, I, maybe I don't have to eat when they tell me to eat. Maybe I don't have to sleep when they tell me to eat. So they learn the word no and they use it as often as they can. And then it's the terrible twos. No after no after no after no. Challenging, challenging. And then they meet no. We meet no when we get into the school system. It's all about there's one correct answer and this is wrong. And we hear so much more about what is wrong, wrong, wrong that we start to put on these blinders and these filters build up. And we see the world as only one correct path. And if we vary from that path at all, it's disaster. Yeah. It's terrifying. This is, this is one of the bases of my Embracing Change program, the improvisational mindset for embracing change. So many clients want change management. Now, think about that word for a minute. Managing the change. I'm going to control this change. No matter what happens, I'm going to control it, and I'm going to fix it, and I'm going to put it back to the way it was. Everybody talks just about like risk management. Right. Instead, I teach to embrace the change. Mm. Surf that wave. Get on top of it and ride it. Find that sweet spot so that you can stay on top of that curl, that you can find the joys in the change. It's been really, really, really hard to find anything positive out of COVID. <laughs> really, really hard. Yeah, it has. But you know what? Hard. One of my clients the other day that hired me for a, uh, for specifically for a change management project, they said to me that what they've learned is their, their employees don't need to go to the office. Well, duh. But it took COVID for us to realize that, that you can let employees work from home. You can let staff work from home and their KPI goes up. Their productivity goes up. I'm here talking to you at my desk right now. I'm wearing a bathrobe and sweatpants, which is exactly what I wore talking to a pharmaceutical client this morning. You know, and so it does not make any difference whether I'm wearing that or a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. I just wear a suit and tie for the sexy picture that I sent you. It's good. It's a good picture. But also the bathrobe's a sexy picture, too. As you said, this is the full Lebowski. Well, it's a different demographic that those two different pictures appeal to. Yeah, it, it's amazing how many of these things that when we really just open ourselves up to looking at like the way things are now, it's it isn't it. it we don't need to be precious about those about the office. It's like oh, we can just let that go, and then we can recognize oh, we might make better social connections if we like let them choose when they wanted to gather with each other or not, right? <laughs> Rather than forcing them to be in the same place. There, there's a there's so many possibilities that open up when you're just like oh. Let's let's see what we can do with that, um, and that, that's really quite beautiful. And I'm and I'm glad that you're helping people find some beauty in a really hard, isolating time, right? That there are still opportunities for joy is really, I think, a wonderful feature of of the work you do. Um, so I don't know if they, I I hope they thank you enough, but I'm thanking you as well. <laughs> they thank me in in our cold hard, cold hard. <laughs> That's the truest definition of love. It is. Um, after getting really deep, Caesar, you want to ask uh, um, one of our one of our. Uh... Sure. Yeah, we have uh, very insightful and thoughtful questions. We prepare before we pre- prepared before. Uh, okay. So our first question is: <clears throat> the answer Donald is Duck's earth. pants for or against? Against. Justify your answer. <laughs> Justify your answer. Donald Duck, if he is a true duck. His junk is shaped like a corkscrew. If you wear pants like that, he's going to wind up sterile. 
And if we force ducks to wear pants and they wind up sterile, we will have less ducks. Pants can contribute to the extinction of duckhood. Let Donald Duck mm. go free. Let the breeze blow between his feathers. I have one follow-up question. Why the shirt, then? Because he was in the Navy. Duh. <laughs> Paul, you asked the stupidest questions. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Besides, Good. his nipples are not shaped like, like corkscrew. <laughs> no, no, no. His nipples are, are shaped like little pyramids. <laughs> pyramids. Or, that would be, or that four-sided four, four die if you are a, a, a dungeon master, which I know one and or both of you are. I have one right here. <laughs> ah, he had it in his chamber. Look at that. He's got <laughs> dice right there. Any podcast that Paul's done, he's got his, he's got his bag of dice there. You know, Whereas, they are useful. Caesar's programmed a random number generator because he's a, he's a millennial. So. <laughs> I am a millennial. Does that I make am. Paula Jane's ear? Because <laughs> I have dice. You know, uh, you know that, is, that, is actually, that is actually one of the most rewarding things I'm doing right now, is I'm working with Gen Z, or as they call them in China, the Ling Ling Ho, the zero zero generation. Mm. I'm working with mm. a, a university here in the Shanghai area, specifically with that age and, I, and I'm, I'm loving it. I am loving it so much. And I'm recommending to my corporate clients, especially the, the C-suite and managing director uh, level to have a mentor who is Gen Z, mm. have these older senior executives to have a mentor who is a recent university graduate or who is still a university student so that we can learn, you know, that we mm. can maybe break the cycle that we've all been going through these hundreds of capitalist years. Yeah. Well, and there's there's like many different dimensions to doing that, because one, they could just be very useful consultants about like what is going on and how do I hire people? Like, what do I offer them that they want? Like, there, hello, there is hello, a, kids. <laughs> yeah. Like what? what? So there, there's that dimension. And then there is sort of the interpersonal thing you're talking about, the cycle of breaking, which is like, oh, if I if I can just look at you with respect, I might change the way that this has gone time after time after time again that we are cruel to the people below us so then they learn that and are cruel you know like that you know, that ladder is also i think what you're pointing at breaking but there is a just that's a true that, and i'm trying to i'm trying to help soften the blow that is coming with the death of capitalism you know i'm just really want to soften that blow so that this generate you know i feel like i'm gen x and the generations before the generation before me uh didn't really care too much about the future and I feel like if we can care about this incoming generation, then we can build empathy within them to think beyond their own life, to think about humanity as a whole, to think about what life could be like for someone who's not going to be born for another hundred years. Yeah. What can we do today to make that person's life better? Yeah. That is not the way we have thought for a long time. And I hope we begin to think in that way because it changes I, just the whole value it's structure. It's possible. You know, but if you if you can make a change, if you can make a change in just one person's mindset towards empathy, then you've lived a good life. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's that's very true. It's that well, and so I I wanted to ask specifically about that word empathy because I think that comes up a lot in like this world of applied improv, like um and and the the like encouraging empathy, and I guess. To, to maybe make the clear connection for those who haven't quite got it, like what, why do you think like the, the, that improv so very much uh, helps establish empathy? Like, what, like there's a quality that does it about being a good communicator that de you develop empathy. Um, and I, I know that that word comes up a lot in applied improv is like encouraging people to have empathy. Why, why is it that improv is so good at, at developing empathy in people, do you think? I think improv... It's been said, I think it was Harold Ramis who said that the thing he valued most about Second City and his training in improv was it was the one place where they celebrated failure, you know, and failure's going to happen. And it's, it's, we yet we go back to the education system. They try to teach us that failure shouldn't be an option. And you get into the corporate world and failure shouldn't be an option. But on, Im on the improv stage, you know you're going to fail sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know you're going to have a show or a scene that tanks sometimes. And so it makes, you, it makes you more willing to take risks and make bolder choices and 
and innovate. You know, that's one thing I was talking to this university about it. I'm working with the uh, Innovation Entrepreneurship Center. And they said, why should we work with, it, with, with, with improv? And I said, because improv is innovation, real time, happening before your eyes. It is literal, constant innovation. Yeah. And so because yeah. of that, we, improv kind of opens the door to more empathy. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, you know, um, I know we joke around a lot, but one of the reasons that you and Cesar are such a good team is that you're actually friends. You like each other. You know a lot about each other. You've spent a lot of time playing together. And so the combination of play and actually choosing to like someone really opens some doors. It builds empathy and makes you more able to, uh, to take risks and, and innovate. Mm. I might be rambling, but I think my words sound nice. They do. It's a good ramble. It's also not a ramble. It was all, it was, I mean, it was all very, very, that was a. Well, I was trained as a preacher at age 17. That's not a joke at all. I have a certificate somewhere. Oh, really? You know, we didn't actually, I had a question actually in the barrel about this, about like your journey into this. So, so tell us, tell us, tell us, please, the story of of Kurt, tell us. Um, Tell us, father. (laughs) Tell us, father. How how, You were trained as a preacher? (laughs) How'd you end up in a line of I was born to a poor matchstick dealer in Victorian England. And, uh, you know, I the see. only daughter in his family. No, uh, I, uh, how did I get you got around to uh, Gen X then? My, my dad was an entertainer and he gave up entertainment for practical reasons to, to deal with, to raise his family. And yet it kind of got into my blood and my mom hated the whole industry. So when I went into university, she absolutely refused to let me go into theater, but I went into uh, television and radio production. Oh. And, and, you know, it was funny because uh, as soon as I got my first job, within about a year, I had a TV show. I don't know. But wow. uh, uh, doing that TV show, and it was a kid's TV show, and it really wasn't a TV show. It was uh, the afternoon block of cartoons on the Fox network, on the Fox affiliate I was working for. And we had to stitch these two hours together to look like one cohesive kids TV show. And in the commercial breaks, there would be like 30 second, one minute and two minute interstitials, mini programs. So we were recording these things, just dozens of them a week. And it was getting really, really boring, really boring. And so I found the book uh, Truth in Comedy by uh, Del Close and Sharna Halpern. And I said, okay, this is something we can try. And then that worked. And then suddenly on television, the TV show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, appeared. And so that's where I fell in love with it and started studying it. And of course, in, you know, at that time, I'm living in Biloxi, Mississippi. And so there's not any improv to be studied. So it all had to be like books I could get and what I could watch on television. There was no internet then. Yes, gentlemen, back then our phones were attached to the wall. Um, <gasps> in some ways, a better world. But uh, you yeah, to have one. But fast forward to coming to China for many reasons and working as an English teacher, as many of us do. And then I come to Shanghai and I think, oh, gosh, look, here's this theater company. They're doing an improv workshop. And one thing leads to another. And I wind up leading the improv workshop. The theater company folds. They hand me their database and I built Smack out of it. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. That, wow. So I, that's the that... seed of Smack, a database. <laughs> As all good things uh, come from. You are such a coder. Um, <laughs> well, I, I want you to keep going. I want to hear about what it was like to like create uh, an, imp- an improv community, like, uh, like uh, what, what it was like to build that. Um, if, you're, if you're willing to share, I don't know if it's a trade secret. but it's, I did it. I, I, you know, I started it just because it was fun. You know, yeah. It was something I used to do, something I'd missed, something I'd not done for several years. And we started doing shows, and I remembered what it was like to be on stage. Oh, my God, that first Smack show was just abysmal. 22 people on one stage. It was awful. Oh, <laughs> really bad. And, uh, yeah, at and once. Uh, at once, at one point, yeah, just all short form. Huh. Yeah, my, my date, we were doing the game Paper Chase, where you write uh, lines on a piece of paper and draw them out of a basket and incorporate them into the scene. Just because she thought it was funny, she uh, got a hold of the basket, and on every single slip of paper, she wrote, I like to smell my poop. So no matter who played it, 
whatever piece of paper they drew out of their pocket, their line was, I'd like to smell my poo. And this one girl is the only one in the audience laughing. Everyone else thinks it's crap. And then afterwards, the whole ensemble comes to me and says, she can't come to our shows again. <laughs> and I'm like, I totally agree with you. But what I found in doing these workshops and doing these shows was that Shanghai is an international city. And it, while it does have its own culture, the majority of the people that live in Shanghai are foreigners or Yi Ren, Chinese from outside of Shanghai. They don't have their families here. They're looking for connection. And so a community started to build. And I noticed the community, and I decided to focus more on the community than about, am I doing shows? Am I performing? Am I building some sort of performance-based thing? And so it became about the community, and that's where the words Mac, where the term Smack family came in. You know, because we, as you both know, having been in Smack, you, your connection with Smack and other Smackers goes way beyond the stage, right? And you, you're very, it's, and, and I think this is true in improv all over the world. That's why a lot of people call it kind of a cultish thing, because, you know, you, you give up your friends and family, you speak a weird language, you keep spending money on endless classes and levels. We are the Scientology hmm. of the performing world. <laughs> well, if you say it that way, <laughs> I don't know if you can bl if we can blame them. It's true, but it's I it's guess because that it would is... make me L. Ron Hubbard. Just call me Commodore. Just call well Commodore. Yeah. I just have to say it's because it's fun. I mean, like I I guess people are having fun in cults as well. They feel they feel as belonging. I I think there's a reason that cults yes. have such power in America because there's a lot of loneliness, right? Um, but that aside, cult. it's cults. And cults is cult is unfair to a, a person inside a cult would not be pleased to hear it being called a cult. So you can expand that beyond to religions. Uh, it's what draws people to multi-level marketing. Sometimes I was just about to say that. Yeah, you know, it's 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 what draws people. Why they they finish their time at a university, but they stay very active in the alumni group. It's something they have in common, and that one little nucleus of something they have in common is what grows into a community, right? Mm -hmm. And improv fosters that. Improv really fosters mm -hmm. a community because you play so much yeah. better with somebody that you actually know well and somebody that you like, you know, and you spend time with them. Plus, since we're improvising about life, if, if all of our life is improv, our improv becomes pretty boring. So, you know, people bring in other ideas and other experiences and other cultures. And so it grew from there. You know, I... I'm very, very grateful that I am known to be the founder of Smack, but I am not the person that built it. It was mm. built by hundreds of hearts. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And well, that, that vision of it, I think, is what enabled it to have, like, your awareness that it was a community is what, you know, draw, like, because what I have also experienced with some people who found things, and because, and what I'm saying is you're the opposite of this. That they, you know, they, it's precious to them. They really want it to succeed. They want it to be a particular way and it's theirs, right? And that, that awareness of it as like, oh, like we all create this thing together is what I think made Zmax such a wonderful thing to find in Shanghai. What a wonderful community to enter and join and play with and meet. Such and that's why we, that's why we, you know, we kept our prices low. We kept our ticket prices low. We kept our class prices as low as we could and things like that. And then when the opportunity to teach, uh, the, the opportunity to become a, a corporate trainer and work in learning and development for multinational corporations who had large budgets, I said, this is how I can survive right. so that I could still right. keep prices low for performances. That, mm. yeah, that, that is one of the things that I think uh, someone who's listening to this, who maybe is an improviser, uh, might be most intrigued to think about like how like <laughs> that that moment of transitioning from like I like doing this here's how I monetize it like here's how I here's how I make my life at this um is is very interesting I think to to many people um what would you say was was like the key to making that that transition to making that sell to turning you your this passion for improv into a thing that can help you survive just being willing to take the risk and fail and I did fail I failed miserably. The first time I went full-time improv, full-time corporate trainer, full-time improv teacher, I went bankrupt. And then I had to take another job. And then I, I, were in, I took two jobs and I kept working on SMAC. And then I had a heart attack and had to have surgery. 
but then I got back up and kept doing it, you know, and then it, it's, I don't know. I think it's just the fact that I'm unwilling to give up. I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> Good. Yeah. That's the thing. Most, most people who know me well would agree with that. <laughs> Wonderful. That's really beautiful. Caesar, you want to, you want to ask a question? I feel like I, I keep, I'm just so eager. I've got so many things. I'm so, you know, it's lovely to have you on. I'm, I'm fan. We're now in hour four of the take with Kurt Mabry. <laughs> we're going for 12, right? We're, we're headed for a full 12. We're doing a full 12 hour interview. <laughs> no, no, just me. Okay. Podcast. Uh, yeah. One, one of the questions we have before is, uh, what are, what are the moments in like doing a corporate, you know, corporate workshop in a very corporate and serious and professional environment that were way more emotional that they had any, any, any right to be that like any like surprises that you find in a very, this like very sterile environment. Like you, you find like a nugget of, of gold there. Event. It, it's main. Okay. A couple of things come to mind when you ask me that one is, how quickly people are willing to drop jargon in the business world. There's a lot of jargon, you know, a lot of synergy, monetize, optimize, you know, those sorts of things. And I, I'm pretty plain spoken. It's one reason that although generally people in my profession in this city, their knee jerk reaction is I'm a corporate trainer. I'm actually not so much a trainer as I am a program designer and facilitator. Because I like to lead people through things that they can discover their own, their own learnings, right? Because that's so much more profound. And so, you know, I, when, I, when, I, when I use simple language and I drop the jargon, even though I do understand a lot of it and speak a lot of it, they drop the jargon quickly, too. They want to speak plainly. They want to speak about, about, about these things. These, the, the moments that have really meant a lot to me to kind of answer your question, Caesar, there are two that come to mind. One was a training for a, uh, a high-end European cosmetics company. Please forgive me for not mentioning actual brand names because these people are still my clients. But it was a high-end cosmetics Yeah, Chipotle. And yes, Chipotle Cosmetics. Uh, uh, their, their goal, they had a goal to sell cosmetics to preteen Chinese girls. I hear you gasping. Hmm? <laughs> but it was obviously someone, someone who lives by spreadsheet had identified a gap and they wanted to see, can we exploit this gap? And they were struggling. They were struggling because these people had consciences. These people are like, do we really need to be using television advertisements to teach a little girl that she needs eyeshadow? Do we really need to do that? And so I agreed to do the program with this R and D department, just based on the fact that, uh, based on the fact that I wanted them to discover what is the purpose of what they're doing rather than how can we sell it. And so I led them Mm -hmm. through some improv exercises and some role play that kind of regressed them back to their own preteen years Mm -hmm. and why they would do it. And they learned that it was about self-expression and they, they, they remembered what it was like. And I will say the, the end result, that I liked was that I got hired again for other topics, but that organization decided not to market cosmetics hmm. to 12 year old Chinese girls. Wow. Uh, another really profound moment was for a, uh, uh, I guess you'd say an, an aeronautics company, a joint venture between a, a Western and a Chinese aeronautics company working with uh, managers. Yes. Yeah. You're, are you hungry, Caesar? Are you hungry? Okay. But, you know, I was doing a persuasion and influence course for them. And I showed them this one tool I had developed from the concept of if then. And if either of you remember studying in improv, you know, about the game of the scene, one of the tools that we use is a concept called if then. And I was using it as a way to show them how to activate their intuition in talking to people, how to be more empathic in talking to people. And suddenly the, this one this one manager, this one Chinese manager, they're all sitting there working through how do they, how do they motivate and develop a, an, a, a team member, an employee who is just not motivated. And he suddenly had this epiphany and he said, when are we having a break? And I said, why? He said, I need to go call my son. Turns out his son was five years old or no, seven years old. 
And every morning they had this constant battle about what they were going to watch on television. It always made them both leave the house feeling bad because the kid wanted to watch cartoons. Dad wanted to listen to the news. They always wound up in an, in an, in an unhappy situation. And he suddenly, just by working through this intuition exercise, understood it from the point of view of the child. And that was so touching to me, was that finally an adult realized that the emotions, the stresses, the pressures, the frustrations that a child experiences, while they may not be about the same topics, they may not be experiencing divorce and mortgage and tax. They may be experiencing something like having to eat the food that they don't like or a quarrel on the playground. These emotions affect their bodies and their, and their psyche in the exact same way. He was able to put himself into the mind of his five-year-old child, and he couldn't wait till the break because he wanted to go call and tell his son that he understood. Hmm. And that just meant so much to me. And that was, in a, that, 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 had, that was not the scope of that training at all. Hmm. But that's one of the reasons I love what I do, because, and, and you, you noticed it in my bio, it's about things that can help people in their work and their life, because I don't think they're separate. I think they're all part of mm. our life. Yeah. Very cool. Wow. Those are incredibly touching. <laughs> those, are, those are two beautiful moments of people, as you're saying, like connecting with their humanity in their work, in their And space. I got paid. Don't forget that part. <laughs> we know you won't. <laughs> oh, hey, dude. Okay. hey dude somebody i i bourbon is not free <laughs> somebody's gotta pay for the no bourbon. matter how no matter how nicely no how nicely you ask mm -mm. oh <laughs> wow i i'm just i'm just basking in the glow of that moment of someone being like i have to go call my son that's that's a cinematic that's a cinematic that's moment there yeah mm. Those are the moments that make it worth it. Totally. Mm. Now, what? we've talked, we've been too positive. <laughs> I like to ask you, is there anything Let's that get you... dark. Let's get dark. spicy. Hey, it's a spicy meatball. Is there anything you, you don't really like about the way, you know, improv is, is, is taught or is seen or like the, the world of improv that you think, yeah, maybe we should, we should do less of that. Uh, there's several things that have come to my mind. Without naming names, of course. I or, or do, I don't know. I obviously have an ego, and I appreciate it very much when people say, oh, founder of Smack, oh, respected guy, you know, and, and our, our friend and colleague, Eric Barnes, uh, which we both know, he gave me the nickname, the godfather of Shanghai Improv, and I, obviously I love it when people say that. But I also know how egotistical that is, you know. Mm. Um, but I feel like there are those in the improv community who really, really do want to set themselves up as a guru. Mm. And I think a guru is a big mistake. The, uh, mm. the bio that you read from, I had a little bit of a battle with a training agency here because they kept sending it out. And it's, you notice it says senior consultant. Yes. They kept yes. writing it as master trainer. And I'm like, don't you, don't you put master down there. Don't you? It's not, you know, because I'm, I feel like the day that I think I've mastered anything is probably the day I need to lay down and die. And so anybody that sets themselves up as a guru, as though they're, in, they're the expert and their way is the way, uh, I think. Besides, maybe, it's cringy as hell to call yourself a guru. It is, unless you're like, I don't know, I don't know, teaching yoga or something. I don't know. Would it still but, be really cringy though? Uh, would it also be fair to point out that with improv in particular, what sort of ruffles my feathers about it is that it sort of implies like improv needs one of these people around. It needs a uh, 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 internationally respected artist in order to like be worth doing. Or like in my mind, it's connected with that. Like, oh, if it doesn't, you have know, and I've I've noticed this. You know, during COVID, uh, which you know, I, I feel for everybody out there who is still dealing with it we are still here in china although different ways it's still an issue that we're going to be living with but uh during during this time you know we we worked to develop smack virtual and we tried to connect teachers from around the world uh via zoom to teach improv and we did learn 
that someone who has a name can more easily sell a class. And that kind of broke my heart because there are some, I guess, less internationally and globally known improvisers. Beautiful, beautiful ideas. And I think that's, again, one of the good things that's come out of this pandemic is the world has started to see that Chicago doesn't own improv. Toronto doesn't own improv. You know, Keith Johnstone doesn't own improv. Del Close doesn't own improv. You know, mm. but, but still, still to this day, there are gurus emerging. There are gurus building their guruhood on I'm the person who says no guru. I'm the person who says we should listen to the small guy. You know, and 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 in China, being back in China after being away for two years, I'm kind of astonished to see that there is still the other thing that bothers me is this idea of competition of him versus us. They're taking our audience. Somebody said the other day to me, well, the pie is big enough for all of us. And I, I go back to what uh, our R&D director, Mark Skinner, likes to say, there is no pie. There is no pie. It's not that the pie is big enough for all of us. There is no pie, you know? And so when people tell me, oh, you know, there's this, so, so somebody the other day, somebody said, well, there's this new Chinese improv organization and they're, they're advertising the same seven principles as smack. You know, what can we do about it? I'm like, let's applaud him. Let's applaud him for bringing more awareness. Well, what's it going to do? What he's going to take a, he's going to take students and audience away from us. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's going to find his own students. But see, that's the thing. You go back to it. These people, there are people out there who do it thinking, okay, I've found something I can make money at. They're going to fail. Hmm. And in the world of applied improv, using improv for learning and development, it's, there's twice as many people that are going to fail. Because on the one hand, you've got some people who are improvisers who say, look, corporate training's a way to make some cash, they're going to fail. You've got learning and development professionals who take an improv workshop and say, look, here's a new activity I can sell. They're going to fail. You've got to have love and appreciation for both sides of it. You've got to love facilitation, learning and development, and love improvisation, and love both, and study both. You know, I, I, I really appreciate that you want to talk to me about being unapplied improvisation, learning and development professional, but I also, t uh, my, my programs maybe are 50, 50 to 60% applied improvisation at most. Mm -hmm. They also include tools for neurolinguistic programming, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, the positive intelligence system, internal family systems, uh, uh, the SCARF model of neuropsychological interpersonal dynamics is one of the things I'm most passionate about using has that has jack to do with improv yeah you know it's about the amygdala you know so i love both sides of it although the amygdala mm -hmm. does that's an improvisational that's another conversation <laughs> the amygdala's for another sure. time <laughs> oh we don't talk about the amygdala in the take it, yeah that's that's totally yeah, outside the scope the amygdala, the amygdala in the take sounds like a French New Wave buddy cop television series. <laughs> this fall on the amygdala and the take. It was badly translated. The, the original French is uh, Stephen and John. <laughs> then I, I question. I think the it was well translated. I like it much better. As the, amygdala <laughs> I, yeah, the, the amygdala and <laughs> the take. A French New Wave buddy cop film. That would be a wonderful scene to improvise. <laughs> I just, oh God, I don't even know where to begin. Okay. Um, the, oh, there's just, there's, yeah, it, there's, I think one of the things about applied improv that you point out there, just to, before we leave the amygdala in the take, is that it is, um, it's, it's hitting a lot of needs at once, right? And it like, therefore it pulls from many different fields to like help with, as you talked about, soft skills, developing empathy and like, uh, developing people's ability to just like communicate and listen well in their workplaces, right? So it, it is, it's also very interesting to hear that you've like pulled from a lot of different fields to help with that, um, to like build a, a curriculum um, that helps with that, which answers another question I was gonna ask, like what's the difference between planning a, like an improv a series lesson workshop structure versus applied improv and you sort of just answered that, um, that like it pulls from all these different fields. Um, 
and I I would just I would just leave open any other space that you wanted to add, like what the what sort of the big difference in planning or structuring those sorts of moments are. Um, any, I any love other? to hear you use these words, planning and structuring, planning, and structuring, <laughs> because those words seem like the antithesis of improv. Yeah. Right. And because people think hey, I, lo I love it. And, you know, this having been performers, you say, oh, sorry, Thursday, I'm not free. I've got improv practice. It's improvised. What are you practicing? Yeah. Okay. You're, you're a funny guy. Go do it. Why have a conversationalist? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the key here and one of the keys to life and one of the things that we forget and one of the reasons, one of the major reasons that there's a need for the work that I do is there's a lack of balance, a significant lack of balance. And this is what... Mm studying dialectical behavioral therapy has helped me realize the concept of the dialectic two things that can be opposing but true at the same time the sun is shining but it's raining uh i'm happy with who i am but i could be much better you know being able to mm. balance these dialectics and improv and that's another reason a lot of improv professionals who say oh wow i took some workshops i'm gonna go sell improv it's one reason they fail they think improv is the solution for everything no Improv is the missing piece because we focus so much on planning, planning, structure, preparation. It's both. We need both. Yeah. And so we do, we make the plans, we set our goals, we choose our direction, we chart our course, but we use improv because things are going to go wrong. Mm. Well, and that, that's the difference, right? Like uh, improv isn't just like pulling stuff out of your top of your head. It's, you know, Planning is planning is important. But what do you do when that doesn't work? Right then, you're left with nothing. Improv helps with that. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's helped me. There have been times that uh, you know. I mean, I, I will say, you know, you both knew me in Shanghai, and you were here around the time of Smack's tenth anniversary, which was a great celebration. And then you know, COVID. Great hit. poster. It was a great poster. Yes. COVID hit. Everybody's life changed. A lot of people were really, really hurt because they were too tightly focused on preparation, on their goals, on their plans, including me. I mean, my plans just completely tanked. My whole life changed in personal and professional ways. Significant change. Some of the most difficult times I've been through have been in the past two years, and I know this is true for everybody. But the fact that I believe in improvisation, that I practice the tools of improvisation, or what makes it easier for me to get up and get started again, find a new direction, find how I can embrace yeah. this change. Where can I find the beauty in this horror? Yeah. One of the teachers, yeah. actually, it was very interesting. I was doing a course on uh, positive intelligence with this very respected coach out of San Francisco and as a coaching system who had no clue about improvisation, really. And he started talking about what he called the 10% rule, that no matter how horrible something is, there's at least 10% of it that can be found to be acceptable. No matter how much you dislike somebody, there's 10% that you could. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is just yes-anding. This is yes-anding. This hmm. is improvising. You know, and, and this is a person who had no experience with improv. And I'm like, this is just reinforcing the fact that we all improvise. We all have the ability when you study improv when you study applied improv we're just helping you refocus and rehome those abilities yeah mm. wow that's quite beautiful. and if these ideas like naturally converge that means they are universally true i think so mm. yeah i mean that's why you know when you hear somebody say well this is the way you do improv not only is that a very unimprovisational statement to say that this is the only right way to do improv. If you hear somebody say, this is the only way to do improv, or this is the only way to lose weight, or this is the only way to plan your career, that's somebody trying to sell you something. That's all that is. Mm -hmm. Totally. We have to learn to be on our guard, yeah. to being convinced. Yeah, there's only one way. Oh, that's such a, that's such a clear way of saying that, Kurt. Oof. Mm. Well, that, that does connect with the gurudom of, you know, improv. That's what a guru says. This is, this is the way. Let me, tell, let me take you through it, my, my little sheep. 
Well, there. I don't, I don't want to be a messiah. I'd be really, really bad at it. <laughs> so you're fine with being the antichrist. I am not. I'm neither the antichrist nor the messiah. I'm the guy that was three rows back at the crucifixion eating popcorn. That's the guy I am. It's <laughs> a heck of a show. <laughs> Everybody seems very upset. Well, I, I think on that note, on that image of Kurt at the crucifixion, we're, we're coming here to our end. Um, we, I did, uh, you know, what, what's, what's in the pipeline? You, you've talked about a lot of change, Kurt. Um, give us a little teaser. What's, what's new? What's exciting that's coming from you? What should people be looking for? Like, what's, you know, what's, what's happening with you right now? I'm what's really excited to be back in Shanghai and to be teaching, Ooh. teaching and performing again. Uh, uh, we've just, we're just about finished with our latest advanced improv class, which I've completely retooled, uh, the whole pro uh, the whole program and I'm loving it. Um, I've developed a 10 program series called the improvisational mindset which I'm very excited to be using. And it's a different take on many popular corporate training programs from uh, an applied improv perspective. Um, I'm doing more leadership coaching from the point of empathy. My program is empathic leadership coaching. And I've got uh, a project coming up. I can't talk too much about it, but it's, uh, it's going to appear on a platform that nobody will expect. Let's just say... Let's just say this platform is not going to be only for uh, stupid challenges and K-pop dances anymore. Not after oh. I'm done with it. Mm, the Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> no That's... for challenges and dances. <laughs> Pretty Beautiful. Much. Well, everybody, make sure you, you check. I will include whatever links you would like me to link. Uh, you can see more of uh, Kurt Mayberry's bio, um, and find many ways to connect with him. Uh, and and we are we were so honored. Thank you for coming on this very first ever uh, take where we we got to sort of hear yeah. a little bit behind the scenes and learn about your skills and and this world of applied improv and and other coaching and such. And thank well, you. I'm for really grateful to be here. It's always great to talk to you, Paul, and you, Caesar. And I want to say thank you to your audience, both of them. <laughs> hey, there's more Hi, than Mom. two. <laughs> Hi, Mom! Yeah. Um, we're very grateful to the audience as well. So, thank you all so it's much. It's always good to, you know, to for, for, for an, to have an opportunity for Paul and I to just chill and listen to our, our guests. Like, it's like... That's a nice thing. I like, that you're, I like that you're mixing it up a little bit. I mean, I do miss the offer, uh, and I'm glad that you're still doing that, but this is a, a nice expansion of your scope. Mm-hmm. The offerverse is growing. <laughs> it's the expanding. Offer. <laughs> the offerverse. It's uh, it's going to be a franchise. It's going to cross over. Oh yeah, Mark, Mark my words. Earth and uh, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanos and Sauron have it out. Um, so thank you, Kurt. Uh, we will end here. Thank you all so much for listening. Um. Check out all of Kurt Mabry's uh, information in the description. And you, as always, you can go to our website, uh, which is... TheAfricast.com For more information. Available wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. <laughs> Have a good one. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hwanza. And Merry Hanukkah. And a wonderful Saturnalia. <laughs> and for those of you that don't celebrate it, have a good Saturday. <laughs> yeah, have a good, like, December. <laughs> Just, you know, have a good day. I'll be smile. That's all. Just hope you have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yes, what's the problem? We're just all trying to have a good time. We're trying to have more joyful life. Celebrate something. Doesn't hey. need to be. Doesn't, doesn't hey. need to be religious. Just hey. life. Come on. Just celebrate. Hey. I'm imagining hey. us just walking into a sunset, like, like slowly fading out as we just, hey, I'm, a good, I'm having a good time. What, what do you do for Saturnalia anyway? Like, we can never really end as, and credits roll, sun's fading off into the distance uh, as we... Yeah, 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 we're riding off to the dis distance. <laughs> as we taper off with a whimper, never... <laughs> Seriously.
slowly. I mean, at some point, I cut Fantastic. this off. I don't. I don't. Well, I, I, I am. My, I am out of my, my glass is empty now. That's what I saw. I, I. I didn't say. I. I wanted to say like, well, I see your drinks empty, and <laughs> so we it. need to end. But um, yes, the glass is empty. So <laughs> that's the deadline. You can go ahead and stop recording. You know, that would be an interesting uh, structure. We all sit down with a drink, and when the drink's finished, it's over. 